Uh, I mean, just a seasoned walk with the Lord through the highs and the lows. And I, I just want to publicly acknowledge that before you guys, that, that Bruce is a, a, a figure of, of, of godliness and a model of godliness. And then the second thing I, I just want to thank God for as he begins to preach is that Bruce is, is someone who is a voice of wisdom. Any, anybody, anybody testify to that? Bruce has been a, a voice of wisdom here at the brook. And here at the Brook, we want to continue to, to give exposure to the different leaders that we have here. And uh, we, we want to give more opportunity to, to preach. Uh, this morning, uh, our lead pastor, Eric Rivera, he's preaching at a, another church. He, he had uh, this, this, um, this speaking engagement um, long before. Um, but the great thing here at the Brook is that we want to continue to raise up preachers. Preachers who say, thus saith the Lord, who speak on behalf of God through his word. And that's what Bruce is going to be doing um, for us today. So I just want to take a moment um, just to pray for him. And then um, Bruce, Bruce will share God's word with us. So why don't we take a moment right now. God, I just thank you for, for your word. God, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. God, it is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, God. God, your word shows us uh, that only you have the words of life, God. And this morning, God, sharing those words of life is our dear brother Bruce, God. We thank you for his leadership, God. We thank you for his service here at the brook, Lord. And I just pray that you would use him mightily, God, that he would hide behind the cross, God, as he preaches your word, Lord, and that we would um, receive your word, God, with great gladness. God, that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, and that you would use what Bruce has prepared um, for us this morning, God, that it would be a fresh manna to us. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Jeremy gave uh, some very, very gracious words, much appreciated, all of us, uh, Apart from the Lord's goodness in our lives, uh, where would any of us be? I am thrilled with the opportunity to share and preach this morning. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that all scripture is inspired and it's profitable for correction. And it's profitable for reproof and instruction in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped to be the men and women that God wants us to be. That's our, our goal. Um, you can barely see it. It represents something that happened and a memory that, although it happened uh, 30-ish years ago, it's still very fresh in my mind. It's a little nativity scene. Uh, we were at relatives. My son, one of my sons, was probably six, seven, eight. He spotted a nativity scene across the way of uh, one of the relatives. And in the total innocence that any of your six or seven year olds would do, he got ready to reach and probably just take a look at it. I can still see the snarl and hear the venom from the relative that said, get your hands away from that. And I can see my child draw back, and it took years for that boy to be willing to go to that relative's house. It's a little bit of an example 
of what our story is about today. We're going to get to the passage in a second, but what do we think of kids? What is our assessment of children? And we're going to find out and look at Jesus' assessment in a few minutes. Maybe this represents your attitude toward kids. Without my kids, my house would be clean, my wallet would be full, and my heart would be empty. I like this. The most precious jewels I have ever worn around my neck are the arms of my two-year-old. Kids are like wet cement. Whatever falls on them will leave an impression. Children are not a distraction from more important work in life. They are the most important work in our lives. Nice sentiments, not necessarily the attitudes of society toward our kids and toward children. Uh, I have adult children. They have their children. I asked my girls if they wanted to give some input in any shape and form. So there's little uh, smatterings of their, of their uh, counsel, their, their thoughts sprinkled throughout this message this morning. Uh, my oldest has five ki- children, 13, an 11, a 7, and the twins are six. So you can kind of imagine and picture her household and the energy that goes on there. She says, I can't believe the number of times I'm in a public place and somebody that's well-intentioned says something like this. Are they all yours? That's, she's, she's got creative responses that she's come up with for that. Uh, my daughter, Laura, only has a four, a three, and a two, and you can see the energy. Uh, she literally got this comment going through the park one day last summer. Honey, can I ask you a question? Said a lady walking past. Can I ask you a question? Are you living your dream or your worst nightmare? So what do people think of children? What do people think of children? Um, I mean, our our spectrum runs from mild irritation toward children to open hostility. Sometimes it's a little annoyance to the very place of rejection and removal of those children. I want you to think a lot of of my message this morning is going to be on application and thoughts and our own sentiments toward children. And I want you to think, which of these have you said or thought, maybe about the kids around you, but bring it a little closer to home, even toward our own children or our own grandchildren. Kids are noisy, they're messy, they're expensive, they can be a nuisance. They're an embarrassment. They're time-consuming. Ramp it up a little bit. They're rebellious. They are in my way. And on and on. We could put 50 adjectives in there as to our sentiments toward children, right? Uh, foster homes are, are filled. Some of you I have talked with and you have mentioned your familiarity with an organization called Lydia Home and what is called Safe Families for the very purpose 
of stepping into crisis intervention situations for kids that need a safe family for a temporary time. Uh, if we had any DCFS workers amongst us or interviewed, they are swamped and overwhelmed, the court system and so forth and so on. And we can ramp it all the way to a society that says that children are so in a way that a, an abortion is a very live option to us. I want you to turn to our passage today. We've taken a little detour. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16. And just before we get there, it was helpful for me to say just what exactly does scripture say about children? Uh, and it didn't take long, and it wouldn't take you long either, to come up with a list of kids in scripture and the role they play. Uh, young people that are here, thanks for staying. Maybe you are sixth grade and older and you didn't have a choice, or maybe you could have been at Brook Kids and you joined us. But here are some examples, and I always like to, with scriptural children, to try to imagine an age. And quite frankly, I could put just about any of these children in sort of a um, five or six or seven-year-old all the way to a, a teen role. So as you think of them, kind of imagine. Exodus 2, you may be familiar with, is <clears throat> the story of Miriam. She's kind of a secondary character because, of course, her little brother, infant brother Moses, was the prime player in that story. He's being hidden uh, from the Egyptian armies, but just a very quick snippet says that his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. I, I found, found myself lingering on these phrases even as I went through. Uh, seven, maybe she's 12, but a little girl standing, watching, wondering. And she's going to come into that story very, very prominently to save her brother's life, to give him off to a, a Pharaoh's princess, to later help Moses and Aaron rule the Israelites. First Samuel 3 is the uh, sensitive, the tender, the available little boy Samuel three different times. Here I am, here I am. I'm listening, I'm listening. Is, are you speaking to me, Eli? It wasn't Eli, God's voice speaking. And Samuel's given a very tough job to give a very tough message to a very corrupt priest, and he's a little boy. Second Kings, uh, you might recall a little tiny servant girl. And again, put her as uh, seven maybe at the youngest. She might be 14, but she's a servant girl and again, I love the phrase, if only my master would see, and she wants him to go to the prophet Elijah, Elisha, because she knows that he's going to bring healing too, if only. And I'll guarantee you, just parentheses, I'll guarantee you that you've got some of your kids, 8, 10, 12, 14, of that kind of age, saying something like, if only I can get grandpa to church. If only I could do, have a chance to, this childlike faith and their availability and their receptivity and their um, openness to the Lord's things. <clears throat> Two more quick ones here. We could go through much on these. David, of course, comes to mind. Jesse said, yeah, I've got seven sons. Uh, by the way, the youngest one, he's still out in the field. And, of course, it's that youngest one that God is going to appoint as king over Israel. 
I, I actually, this was the most obscure one, but probably the most compelling one that I came across in just saying, what's scripture say about kids? Genesis 21, you might remember uh, Sarah, Abraham's Sarah, is so infuriated, distressed with the maidservant Hagar, who has had the stepchild, that she sends them off into the, the wilderness. Hagar takes Ishmael. Lots of time, the, I, I won't go background of the story more than this, but Hagar's literally sitting at a distance and she's watching because she's certain this little boy is going to die and starve right there in the desert sun. And I, I was amazed at the profound words of scripture that say, the angel says, don't be afraid, God has heard that boy crying. Lift him up. Take him by the hand, for I will make him a great nation. Um, little phrases in scripture should compel us, remind us, uh, uh, astound us as to God's concern for kids and for all of us. So we could go on. We won't stop there. The, the point of that being that scripture very much validates children, very much validates children, and um, young people, if you, don't, if you aren't familiar with some of those stories of how God has used kids, um, ask your parents, find out, be encouraged, know that God wants to use you as children as well. Um, <clears throat> we are familiar with, and this is perhaps one of the most encouraging verses or passages in scripture that tells me God's assessment of children, Psalm 127, 3 to 5. Children are a heritage of the Lord, like arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of thy youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. So we've got a, a, a glimpse, and we know a tiny bit of what scripture says. I want you now, uh, if you are in um, that scripture passage, it's 846 in your Bible, and this is a good time to give you a reminder, if you do not already own your own copy of uh, God's Word, would you please um, very, very enthusiastically take this out the door with you so that you can follow and see what uh, God has to say. Let me read the passage. It's short, but it's very, very significant to us. This is Mark 10, verse 13. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. We're going to take this passage, and as I say, it's only a few brief verses, but there is certainly a great deal sprinkled throughout those verses that we want to discover today. Um, it says they were bringing children. Uh, a lot of commentaries say they were quite possibly infants. Uh, more than likely, they weren't being brought for healing. 
more than likely they were not being brought so that they could be healed. Probably more like what we do with children, uh, bringing them for a blessing, for a dedication, uh, certainly to be prayed for. Um, Jesus was popular. People knew about him. Maybe some of these families had seen his uh, reputation, seen his miracles, seen the feeding of the five uh, loaves and two fish, the 5,000, and, and they might have wanted their kids to come very close. Um, I was thinking another reason, perhaps, if you remember back a, a few weeks ago, a uh, pastor spoke on divorce, and the passage before tells uh, families God's assessment of divorce, and he basically says your family is to stay together. And there could very well, I think, be, have been some parents that brought their kids, said, I just had my convictions of my home re-strengthened, and it's time for me <laughs> to get my kids to Jesus. Um, what does it mean to bring them? I, I, um, oh, this is when my kids were teens, and there was, down at Moody, there was a, a year, maybe a little bit longer, there was a period of time where monthly, a uh, well-known, at the time, contemporary music artist was down doing concerts. And, the, and it was a big deal, and youth groups from all over the city and suburban area would come. And I can remember thinking that that would be a good thing for me to do. Be Number one, to have my kids around some great music, some great role models. I think it kind of prompted uh, everything from them getting autographs, and they had posters in their rooms, and it probably even served to enhance their uh, time and effort on their on their music practice for a time. But we bring people, we bring our kids to uh, uh, different people such as a Jesus or prominent people for a lot of reasons. So part of that follow-up would be, why are you bringing your kids to Jesus? And maybe even a little definition of what does that look like? Did you bring your kids to Jesus by having them having walk through the door this morning? Do you bring them to Jesus when you drop them off at a youth group? And believe me, we need, in this day and age, we need a lot of help and a lot of support raising our kids. So I will guarantee you that with our kids, we looked for other churches and other Christian groups, and we would, I would call it dropping our feet, our kids at Jesus' feet, by having other people that we knew were Christians or other settings or other youth leaders or whatever it might be. Uh, it has been said, I can see if you agree with this or not, that children are our most, um, it has been said, it, our, our most predictable or our most reliable status symbol. Think about that a little bit. In other words, if our kids are on good behavior, it's like, you look good, don't you? You look really good if your kids are. They can be your most reliable status symbol. So maybe, maybe, You've got your kids here because it makes you look great, you know? Uh, I'm going to change that up a little bit. Uh, I've got, uh, my, my mother was here with us a few weeks back. She is aging, but if there was anything that I could do begin starting off as a young Christian, a young dad, that would make my mom happy, it was her knowing that I had her grandchildren at a service, right? So maybe we do it for grandparents, how about this? Many of us, most of us, 
have experienced the hurt, the disappointment, the um, emptiness of chasing after things in the world, the point came where we came to know Jesus as Savior, and we say, man, I do not want that for my kids. I am going to have them in a setting where they can come to Jesus and not have to go through what I experienced. That may very well be the reason that many of us have our kids. Um, I've been in several Brook homes. I love the scripture on your walls. And one of the things that is probably true for a lot of us, we have the strong conviction of Joshua 24, 15, that says, Joshua's reminder, I don't know about the rest of you, but as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And you have determined that what part of what that looks like is having your children in services and around God's people and being trained. Uh, Ephesians 6 is another passage that says, uh, it's Paul's exhortation, and he says, you're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you think to yourself, man, I need all the help I can get in doing that nurture, admonition, training. I need to be at church. Some of you, that by extension, you're bringing them to the feet if you are able and if you have them in Christian schools. It doesn't always work out for us to do that, but we look for those places. And I couldn't help but think of uh, the very familiar verse in Proverbs 22.6 that makes this claim or this statement, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Hopefully you've come to discover that that's a principle, not a guarantee. I can think of plenty of kids that have brought their kids up in the way they should go, and those kids are rebellious. But overall, that's a principle, and you may be clinging to that. If I'm training them up, they're not going to reject that, and that is why I'm going to bring them to Jesus' feet. Um, I can't help but put in just a, a thank you, a blessing, a I'm so impressed because as I look around uh, Brook families, there are tons of you that have made that choice that somehow you're still identifying what it looks like, but you are very intentional and you are very convinced that you want your kids to be at the feet of Jesus. And that's our passage today. We're going to think what that looks like. Phrase by phrase, the next phrase in that verse says this, and the disciples said, well, we're on board with this, so we're going to enthusiastically bring all those kids in and start a Sunday school class. Obviously not. The disciples rebuked them. What's that rebuke look like, and why are the disciples opposed to, I mean, they're Jesus' followers, after all, shouldn't they be in line and, and in agreement with whatever his agenda is? Um, maybe they're jealous. You know, here's a group of 12 guys, and we are looking for time, and we are certainly looking for kingdom business, you know. And kids, of course, were second-class citizens. Kids and women were certainly to be seen and definitely not heard and probably barely seen. So it would make sense. The disciples probably think that they're doing the right thing here. Um, why do you hinder or why do we 
What are the things that keep our kids from getting to Jesus? Uh, it doesn't have to be a person. In this case, you know, you look and you say those gruff old disciples, you know, how dare they keep those children from getting to Jesus? But I, I would challenge all of us that we need to be uh, mindful and protective against all of the people, yes, but also all of the influences that are going to hinder or keep your kids from Jesus, keep our kids. Um, now, we could make a long list there, all right? But I think it's worthy of a, a little bit of, you know, kind of digging deep, taking a glance, seeing what those look like. Uh, I can promise you that in somebody's peer group tomorrow, they are going to try to keep your child from feeling like being in church was a good place today. What? You were at church again Sunday? You can't spend your Sunday doing something better than that? Are you kidding me? You are at church again? There's a peer influence. How about a coach? Hey, listen, you know, I understand that church thing is very important to you, but you want to make it on my team? You, you really got to be here every Sunday, right? Now, folks, I'm going to hit some of these that are going to, somebody walked out, the other one said, thanks for the sermon, you got a little too close to home, okay? That, that's what, that's what um, God's word will do and convict. I'm going to have several places that I'm going to tell you about that just, you know, were um, scripture, the Holy Spirit, the application of this were all over me at different times. So if you hear or see somebody that you recognize, um, we're talking to all of us, right? Maybe it's even a well-intentioned fellow parent, Christian at that, that keeps your child from Jesus. It would sound a little bit like this. Oh, you wouldn't believe Thanksgiving week. We are so exhausted you know, it's only going to happen this week, but there is absolutely no way that we can get to that service, right? Uh, did that keep you from, did that keep us from a service? Um, I can zero in on my own. Dad, this has got me written all over it. Oh, my goodness, it's Sunday night. Now, we don't have services on Sunday night. You will not believe how many services on a Sunday evening the game had gone into overtime and church was starting in 10 minutes, and I was going to be late for it. And did that keep my children? Uh, that's dads. That's men. Uh, moms, we won't let you off the hook quite that easy. I think that they called it Black Friday. Didn't, didn't it last all weekend long? Anybody this morning possibly saying, hey, ordinarily we'd be there, but you cannot imagine the bargain that I'm going to get on this coat if I take my daughter with me, and we go doing some serious shopping on only this day. I want us to be reminded that virtually any good, but not best, extracurricular activity can keep your kids, our kids, from getting into the presence of Jesus. <clears throat> Uh, I taught it on the North Shore of Chicago for a number of years. If I had a nickel for every gymnastics, dance, robotics, music, you, you could fill in the blank, 
with the feeder teams that eight and 10 year olds must be on if they're going to have any chance for success in high school and Christian families left with the uh, decision of what to do. Here's a couple of, of villains that we will, will all attest to and yet we need to be reminded, media will keep your kids from Jesus. Hollywood, some of, much of Hollywood openly is attacking our values as Christians. And your kids are fair game and the entertainment that they are seeing or being subjected to will uh, try to uh, pull them away from Jesus. Um, you may have heard this pretty fascinating story. Several years ago, there was an awards presentation in Hollywood. Nicole Kidman, an actress, was there. She was excited because she knew she was going to get an award. She brought her two young children. What she didn't count on and didn't realize was that a clip of her in a very, very immodest, uh, inappropriate sexual scene was going to be flashed on the scene. And no exaggeration, she shoved her two young children under the table and covered them so that they wouldn't have to be exposed. And I've heard that story of more than one Hollywood actor or actress saying, I wouldn't let, the kid, let my kids watch the stuff that I star in. Internet, cell phone, all of what is out is way too much time to think, discuss, but it will pull our kids away. John Piper is a noted um, pastor, author, so prominent in the evangelical world and has profound things to say. And Piper makes the comment that says, um, the single biggest attack and the single biggest influence on young boys and young men to pull them from ministry, to pull them from involvement in the Lord's things and to make them feel that they can't possibly be valid for as a Christian is the stumbling and ongoing fight that they have with pornography and the internet and all that's there. So there is much for us to be mindful for. Uh, the disciples are in human form. Be careful of not just the individuals like the grumpy relative that said stay back but all of the other influences as well there's some good news there's some good news verse 14 watch what jesus says jesus saw it and he was indignant that's a powerful statement i love that um trying to think of a really great example of you seeing something that offended you so badly and you watch the person that just stepped into to the path of that and said, I will not let that continue to happen, or I am going to protect that child, or no more, this and no more. Jesus is indignant. He stands up, and he says, uh, let those children come to me. Don't hinder them. Don't hinder them. Uh, it's a fancy word for not holding them back. It's a fancy word for not putting a hurdle in the way, something that you're trying to come to me, and all of a sudden I, I put a barrier of some kind, and Jesus says, take them all away. I want them to come to me. I want them to come. Um, 
I, I thought of that and the staying back, but then I was convicted and I went to a passage that somebody challenged me in regard to this years ago when my kids were um, teenage years. Um, I'll read you the passage and then I'll tell you what the person's charge to me was. It's um, from Ephesians 6, verse 4. It's related and talking about families, but it says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord that I referenced earlier. Don't provoke. Um, another word in there says, don't exasperate them. Uh, it's a little bit like, I don't know if you've ever done this or had it done with you as a kid. You're playing a game, somebody much stronger than you grabs your hands, grabs your arms, and it's like, that was fun for a while, and all of a sudden, it's not fun anymore. You can't get free, and it's like the exasperation, the hopelessness, the, the, the anger and madness that comes out is so strong. And this is an exhortation to dads, a Dear brother, many years ago, said, uh, how's your parenting going? What's the relationship with your kids? I gave myself some pretty high marks and thought that things were doing pretty well. He said, I, he said, I was reading Ephesians 6. He said, that passage about not provoking my kids, he said, that really got under me. He said, why don't we this week write down or ask our kids, our teen kids, if, we, if there's anything that we do that provokes them, that exasperates them as it were, similar to that other passage, that hinders them or keeps them from getting to Jesus. I thought that was going to be easy, and all of a sudden when I asked the question, my kids took out notebooks and started to fill them up. They had a long list. I'm going to, this is to be convicting, but it's, but it's also going to be to be hope at the end of the tunnel for all of us, dads and moms and parents and grandparents and those that are church family that are helping us raise our kids. Um, what provokes or exasperates? Uh, a broken promise will exasperate. Get a good grade, get a good report card, and we're going downtown to buy such and such, and it doesn't happen. Teasing, humiliating, in front of, especially in front of peers especially when your child is there and the peers and what started off as fun is now humiliating. Unrealistic expectations. You hear about the dad whose son played baseball and got four hits out of five times at bat. He got home and he was all proud and excited. And his dad said, what in the world? What happened to your stance on that fifth one? You stepped back, you could have just as well hit that one out of the park too. Unreal expectations. How about comparison? Comparison to siblings. Comparison, man, if only you, you were, you know, last year I had your sister in my class and she was, you know, that's like a, on a teacher level, but it can happen on a, on a parent level too. Hypocrisy and lifestyle. This is one that comes to mind. Uh, making your kid go to the neighbor and pay for the window that they broke playing baseball and a kid realizes that last week you were in the parking lot, you backed out and did several hundred damage, dollars of damage to the car and just kind of let it slide and didn't go find the owner of the car. No affection, no affection 
I know Christian kids that have come to say, Dad cares about me, but I have never, ever heard the words, I love you, out of his mouth. That will exasperate. Um, a couple of more, just super fast. We call it helicopter parenting, and we're especially guilty of it. Dads, you know, the kind of thing where mom has held down the fort, done all the work, disciplined the kids, worked so very hard all day, and we come in and just buzz around like a helicopter and solve everything and correct and so forth. That's, that'll drive your kids crazy. Or, or try this, uh, you get the garage clean and you can go off with your buddies. Your kid works his head off for an hour, the garage is spotless, he's ready to walk out the door and you say, hey, the lawn needs mowing, take care of that before you go. Um, verbal abuse, physical abuse. Now, if we stop on that list, I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted, I'm a failure, I'm a lousy parent, there's no hope for me in that because I have frustrated or did frustrate my kids many, many a time. I told a couple of you this and after Jeremy says such kind things at the beginning, it's probably good to let you know about the time that my uh, oldest son when he was 17 or 18, when his fist went through the wall of his closet and said, Dad, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And we had reached that level of frustration. And I'm not sure the Lord's goodness or something stayed my hand. And the words, as I recollect them coming out of my mouth, were, I probably don't. But I sure hope you didn't break your fist. Because after we get done repairing that wall together, it looks like we got some serious sitting down to do to try to figure out how, how I can do it better. So take heart. Uh, this is a parenthesis. We don't have nearly enough time to go here. But reality is this. Most of us, most of us are going to parent the way we were parented. That means that if my dad was, had certain ways to discipline me, I probably or quite possibly use those same uh, methods with my own kids. If he was exceedingly harsh, etc., etc. If he was addictive, you know, things like that come into play. By God's grace, we can break those patterns. We certainly can recognize them. We're on a faith walk together as a Christian church and family, so we don't stay in patterns that were wrong and that need to be changed, but we think about them. I <coughs> Sometimes we bring... Uh, fellow Christians alongside of us in this whole thing of getting our kids to Jesus. And I wanted to just mention something that I discovered that somebody put me on to, and it was an encouragement and a blessing. Uh, I talked about uh, people that um, are, are working hard as parents, as teachers, as role models, as examples for the Christian community. And there is a gentleman by the name of Tim Hansel who's given us a very sobering challenge, but also a terrific game plan, if, you, if, you, uh, if it were, to, to raise kids, and again, to bring them to Jesus. Now, I recognize that much of what I've said this morning is talking dads, okay? But one of the most um, intentional parents or influencers that I know 
uh, that's involved with bringing kids to Jesus is a cousin of mine who is roughly the same age. And he has no biological children. And he and his wife mentor kids on any given week, probably have 25 or 30 of the high school kids from my hometown. And I'll guarantee you they are nudging them at that age to the feet of, of Jesus. So this is going to say some things dads, but it's going to reflect all of us. I am a dad, says Hansel. By God's grace and providence, I am a dad. Number two, my home, our home, because you're in this with your wife, our home is the biggest single influence in what happens to my kid. Church is important. Your home is the biggest single influence. Being a dad is the highest, most dignified role I can have. I make six figures. I've got got diplomas behind my name. I've been promoted this week at work, but I will promise you that being a dad is the most dignified role you could play. Fourth, in spite of everything else, parenting is a joy. I didn't hear a lot of amens, but you know down deep in your heart that on a given week that there are things that you say, it, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better. This is a joy. Fifth, we can all improve. Listen, that, that's that conviction of saying, do you know how badly I messed it this week? I, time for somebody else, for the kids to move in with another family because I can't do this. We can all improve. Six, every one of us is unique. Every one of us is unique. That means I'm not going to parent the way that you are, thank goodness, and you're not going to parent the way I am, thank goodness. Your kid is not the same. They're not cookie cutter. So the distinctness of being unique is is part of parenting. Being a dad, being a parent is tough. Acknowledge it, say it up front. There's no magic pill, but it is a God-ordained calling. Three more that Hansel gives us. Time, effort, prayer, and scripture will help you accomplish this task. Ninth is a heavy-duty uh, challenge and reality. My biggest goal is to turn my child back onto a waiting world for the glory of God and the ministry to other people and the effect. And that should be what I am striving to do. And the very last one, God's grace is my ultimate hope and motivation to do this. Now, again, we're getting our kids to Jesus' feet. That's what this is all about, right? The next phrase says the following. To such, referring to these little ones, for such, to such belongs the kingdom of God. So uh, take a second or two to say what is there about a child that makes a child the one that the kingdom of God belongs to? What, what is there about kids that Jesus would have that kind of statement? Um, there's an innocence. There is an unconditional trust. Uh, I won't do it because time is fleeting, but I thought I could ask just about any of the Brook kids to come up and say, now stand straight in front of me. Um, 
complete confidence that somebody is there for, to fall in their arms. If I did it with any of the adults, I'm not going to get any takers, right? That's a little picture of how and why Jesus says, you got to come to me like those kids. Where's your complete trust? An evangelist got home from uh, his evangelistic meeting, and his wife said, how'd it go, honey? Any conversions tonight? Oh, it's a beautiful night. Three and a half people accepted Jesus. Three and a half people accepted Jesus. Oh, three adults and one kid. No, 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 no. Three kids, one adult. Those kids have their whole lives before them. That adult, 50, 60 years in, and he's, yes, praise God, he's saved, but, you know, that's kind of the economy that God has on our children and their conversions. Um, I don't have time for all the examples that I wanted, but um, there is a song based on 1 John 3, verse 1. I'm not going to try and sing it, but it goes like this. Behold what manner, manner, M-A-N-N-E-R, of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Behold what manner of love. My daughter came home, and she's singing, and she did a little twist. She says, had it this way, Behold, the matter is with the Father, and it isn't up to us. Behold, the matter is with the Father, and it's not up to us. That's kind of a childlike faith and interpretation and simplistic way of profound truths that our kids will challenge us with. The end of 15 says it this way. Jesus is confirming this and underscoring the importance of kids. And he says, truly I say to you, uh, to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then all of what they were there for in the first place, he took them in his arms, he blessed them, he laid his hands on them. So, how are we doing? Are we hindering? Or are we helping? Are you discouraging those children from getting to Jesus? Or are you drawing them close to him? Um, again, maybe a little convicting. On the other hand, maybe some tools for us to put in our parental and grandparent and church family tool bag to think of how we bring those children um, devotions any semblance of that in your houses prayer time meal time we're in a society where families can't even find a time to get meals together uh, a meal and a, a little uh, chance to interact and it, it believe me I can say amen been there done that in terms of the difficulty the wear and tear on families the struggle of trying to have a prayer time, trying to have a devotional time, trying to have a conversation. Uh, the intentional things are what we need. We need to not only give them ongoing uh, principles about godly living, but we need to keep the reality of 1 Peter 5.8 in, in the forefront of their mind. You know what it says? You got an enemy, and he's like a roaring lion, 
and he's out to destroy you. And our kids need to know that. On one hand, we say that, but if, uh, if my child went off to school knowing that a, um, a lion was roam, roaming the, the halls of Lane Tech High School, which was their alma mater, they're probably going to be a little bit careful about how they're going to go through that hallway, right? And yet that's the, the reality because there's some things that will tear up our kids every bit as bad as a lion roaming the, the, the hall. Most of us know Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9. These commands that I give to you are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. When you talk, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up, move it to 2016 when you're in the carpool line and any place else, write them on the door frames of your house. Um, we need an anytime, anywhere kind of a soundbite mentality of the input that we give to our kids. So you're driving along, you see a billboard or something, go ahead and make a comment. Boy, you know, that offends me because that would really pull me away from whatever, my relationship with your mom, if I took time to look and lust at that picture or other things that we could say. Uh, availability, not always answers. Availability, not always answers. Too long to talk about that, too, too many stories. Do you love scripture? If you do, your kids will probably exalt scripture. Um, intentional prayers, Deb loves this one, praying character into our kids, praying character into them. Uh, they, they love it, they will, they will rise to it. Uh, this one is important, and gratefully it's part of, I think, who we are. Enthusiasm for being with our church family is contagious. If your kids see that that's where you are fulfilled, where the smiles on your face, where ministry is involved, and you have opportunity, um, it will make it that much more desirable to them. Just a couple of things. Lots of this has been dad, um, but, but I hope you see the application, the need, the relevance, and how we are all doing this we are all bringing the kids. Um, I was thrilled to watch dads bring in 12 and 14 and 16-year-old sons to the retreat this year. That's putting your kids in the proximity of Jesus so that they can hear, that they can watch other godly men. Um, how about this? A, a mom that said, I'm going to have a party for my high schooler. Uh, let's see. What do I want it to look like to be distinct? It's going to be a purity party that's going to call out and challenge her walk and her relationship and her ideals for her dating through high school. Um, I guarantee you that was putting that child okay, at Jesus' feet. RC groups, I got a hunch that we've got some people that are in an RC group because of how you treated their kids or didn't, right, or didn't. Uh, we need to, we talk family, and we, we do need to emphasize it much, but we do a lot of things that if we are intentional about that, it, it's making the gospel attractive. Um, imagine how many times we chase people away by the welcome that they didn't get. So greeters, you probably have somebody that is coming back. They might not be the six-year-old child, but they might be a 16 or 18 or 20-year-old 
that has come here and they say, that guy just acts like, you know, every time he sees me, he's grateful to see me. Brooke kids, uh, on and on, all of the places that you're involved with child ministries. I've heard this one more than once. I love going down where Mr. So-and-so is doing Brooke kids. He makes me feel so great. And the story tells. I have to interject one last kind of quick one here. Sometimes I got to thinking about all the adults that bring the kids. Ever picture somebody that gets to Jesus and they kind of cut in line and they didn't do it with the help of the adult? Um, example, sometimes, you know, it's like the, you know, here's mom and dad, they got their kids in tow and hand, but all of a sudden you look and there's many stories and many times that a young person is like, okay, I don't know what this Jesus thing is all about. I don't have dad alongside. I don't have mom alongside. Nobody's bringing me, but I I'm there because I want to do that on my own. Um, the very first men's retreat, I was so blessed because I introduced myself to one of the young men. Didn't know who, it, who he was with, just getting to know, said something he was not with a parent. It was a long, but he said, uh, they said this is about getting to become a, a man of God. I want to be a man of God. The young man is like 12 when he says that, you know. There's somebody that's saying, I'm going to push in line because I'm anxious to get to Jesus on my own. Uh, some of you have had this discussion, and here's another one that comes to mind. Children say, Pastor Jeremy talked about baptism this morning, Mom. What's the chance of me getting baptized? He said something about that's an indication of me following Jesus. I, n I want nothing more than to follow Jesus. Can I be baptized? It's a little bit of a dilemma for us as a church family to say what's the right age, but it's a great question for somebody to push their way in and say, I want to know. I close with this verse. Romans 8, 14 to 16. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or children of God. You didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. Jeremy referenced that early at the beginning of, of the service, sons of the living God. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies that we are children of God. Most of you know and have heard that expression. You know that the Abba Father is literally a daddy. Daddy. I used to be kind of offended, you know, and want to be dad, you know, to my kids. Nothing more endearing than having your kids call you poppy, daddy, you know, that, that, that kind of warmth and affection. And to see that inscription or in scripture, we have the chance to cry out to him, Abba, Father. Children come into Jesus. I started my uh, message this morning with a foreboding figure, a relative that said, get away from that. Snarled that out. I end with another foreboding figure. If he walked through the door right now, you wouldn't know him. You wouldn't recognize him, I don't think. Um, Weighs about 280 if he weighs a dime. And several years ago, he came to a Bible study. And he was sitting there, and, he, and I had never met him before. And I was 
reasonably intimidated or at very least wanted to know his story. And he's sitting and we came to that passage, to that passage, and he started to cry. He said, somebody in a Bible study I was in just this week told me about that very same passage. Abba, Daddy, Father. He says, never had one. You knew if you heard about mine, you wouldn't believe it. And there he is. He's probably 44. He's not the four-year-old at Jesus' feet. He's the 44-year-old, and he's, he was ready to crawl up in Jesus' lap as that Abba, Daddy, Father. That's what this passage is all about. Uh, we want to bring our kids. We want you guys to know and love Jesus like we do. We want you, in turn, to bring other people. You guys can do it, and we want, as a church family, to do whatever we can to bring people into the presence and into the arms of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what a simple passage, a couple of verses. When Pastor Eric said, would you take this passage, it was like, wow, uh, two or three lines and, and we're done. And yet, what conviction and what um, a strong challenge for us. Thank you, first and foremost, that you are that loving Heavenly Father that delights in your children that reaches out to us that wants to take us into your arms uh, may we do that faithfully as moms and dads as church family may we do that with the littlest and the least of these the children may we do it with each other as we uh, have our real community groups and try to be intentional about sharing your love with them and may we do that in bringing people to you as a waiting world that we're going to face this week. We thank you for all the truths of your scripture, and we thank you for uh, the way that you will help us to incorporate these verses into our lives this week. In your name, amen. I'm going to have you stand, and you uh, will have opportunity in these remaining moments for us to pray with you. There will be prayer leaders uh, around the, the building for a few minutes. You can pray about parenting. You can pray about anything that is on your heart and your mind. And we're just going to take a little time with our closing song and uh, bring our, our needs and petitions before the Lord. <laughs>